Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Third Wheel. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron Conway. And I'm your other host, Hamish Lackman. And today, for our 46th episode, we have a call out from Sonali's episode. Laura Harrison, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, so I'm Laura. I am from Hong Kong. I actually knew Sonali from, because we both went to Warwick, so I knew her from uni. And yeah, so I've been, you know, in the UK. I, I came to UK to study back in 2012. And I've been living there. Essentially, I've moved there for like eight years now. And yeah, I did politics at work, if that's of interest. <laughs> but yeah. That's yeah, so this is actually the first time for me and Hamish meeting Laura. So really nice, nice to meet you guys. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sonali was just someone you met at Warwick University. Yeah, actually, interestingly, we, I met her because she's from Hong Kong as well. And yeah. for like, Hong, like overseas students, like Warwick kind of does like a sort of like welcoming events. And I met her at like the first thing for Hong Kong students. So she's one of the first people I ever met that was like going to Warwick. <laughs> okay, nice. And yeah. so you didn't know each other from back um, home? Before. No, no, not at all. Not at all. Because I mean, I think she went to international school and yeah, I went to local school. So it wasn't like the same sort of circles. <laughs> Oh yeah, because she did. She did say she went to like a very. I can't remember the term she used, but it was like an English school. It was a yeah, inter- international schools. That's what that's what we call yeah, them in yeah. Hong Kong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you went to like a um, a local non- school. That's what we call yeah, them. Yeah, a local school. <laughs> How was that in comparison to, I guess, Sonali's experience? If you heard much of it on her. Well, I mean, I guess the main difference why we call it local and international is because local schools, like things are taught in Chinese and like people speak Chinese to each other. It's mostly for Chinese people. (laughs) Um, Whereas international schools, like everything's spoken in English is mostly for expats. So that's like kind of how it's different. And also for international schools, you do stuff like GCSEs, IB, A-levels, whereas for local schools, you do like the local curriculum. How did you learn English? Because your English is really good. Yeah. Um, no, I'm uh, I'm half English. Um, okay. Yeah, but I mean, for local schools, like you get English classes as well. But obviously, like my dad's just at home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wait. So where were you born? Hong Kong. So I'm like I'm half Chinese, half English. Sorry, I really should have said that. I'm half Chinese, half English. <laughs> That's right. I was born and raised in Hong Kong, and like Cantonese is my mother tongue, and English is like it's not my second language, but like my like one and a half language like I wouldn't say English is my mother tongue but like I mean I've been, I've I've you know I went to a local school that mostly for things are taught in English as well and then I came to UK like eight years ago so so yeah <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't have noticed yeah. uh, I would have assumed like English was your mother tongue to be fair oh yeah that's that's kind I feel like people in the UK are a bit more sort of like accepting like even if they sort of hear a little bit of an accent they sort of just assume that you're just from the UK they don't really question it as much so on your dad's side, he's English. Yes. You said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So did you ever like visit England prior to moving here in like eight years ago? Uh, yeah, I did. I actually used to go um, used to go every summer for a bit um, to visit my grandma. Um, she's passed away now. But yeah, so I actually did like every single year I used to go to UK for a bit. But never for a very long time. It'll be like for like two weeks every year or like stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. So that my uh, dad can visit uh, his his mother. <laughs> yeah. So was like going to study in England always kind of the option for you, I guess? Well, it's kind of because I have a brother. Um, he's six years older than me, and that's what he did. Right. So he came to UK. Also, it's quite a common thing for Hong Kong people to study abroad. So it just literally depends on where you choose. You know, Australia, Canada, um, US, UK. But obviously, for me, because I have an English passport, it makes a lot of sense for me to go to UK. And I guess because my brother did that, and it worked out for him. 
And so my parents were kind of just like, oh, do you want to go? And I guess at the time, I just sort of thought of thought about studying abroad as quite like a glamorous like concept. And I was yeah. like, ah, I can go to, you know, all of these schools. So yeah, so I, I guess that's just the thing that I wanted to try. Also, because you had the English passport, you also didn't pay the international fees, I guess. No, sadly, like they know that there are people like me. So <laughs> to qualify for like like student loans and stuff like that, you have to have studied in the UK for three years before university, whereas I only went uh, for A-level. So that was just two years. So basically it catches up people like me that only go for A-levels. It's fair enough because there are a lot of people like me. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite interesting you say like how most people in Hong Kong decide to study abroad. And then you've got people here deciding to go study in Hong Kong for like a year. and Yeah, I mean, I guess in Hong Kong, it's more like, I wouldn't say most people, but I would say that if, if for example, you went to an international school or if you're generally, I would say, westernized, quote unquote, like you would mm-hmm. normally tend to have a plan to study abroad just to see what it's like. And yeah, yeah, I mean, it's kind of seen as a way of improving your English as well because in Hong Kong it's quite like obviously it used to be a colony there's a very entrenched concept that if you're like you know the more western you are the better your English the sort of better your life prospects would be so a lot of people see sort of studying abroad and getting sort of like a better sort of like English and mingling with like you know English people Mm -hmm. as sort of like a way to success I would say (laughs) and it's quite it's quite an entrenched thing yeah and then I guess because you visited England so much and your dad was English, did the kind of transition of moving to the UK kind of not seem as daunting as maybe a lot of other people found it? Or did you still find it quite intimidating maybe? I found it, I personally found it quite difficult. I, I do know people that had absolutely no issue, even though they, they didn't have like previous ties to the UK. Like I, I do know people yeah. like that, but for me personally, I found it so hard. But just more because I just really missed my friends at the time. I feel like if I had moved a little bit younger, because I moved when I was 17 and by 17, you know, you would have had, you know, school friends that you've been friends with forever. And you have kind of like, you're almost an adult and you just kind of, I just kind of like had like a life in Hong Kong. And I found that when I went to UK, I had to sort of like start from scratch. Like no one knows anything about you and you just have to completely reestablish yourself. And um, I found sort of adapting to like food and weather that was the most difficult for me it was just so cold <laughs> but, um, i'm used to it now but i did find that initially it was quite like it was quite yeah it was quite harsh but it's okay i mean i feel like i really got into it as in like you know i started to enjoy living in the uk maybe from like the third or fourth year onwards so like the first or second year in warwick before okay, that that's I just, quite late then yeah, yeah yeah i just before that i just really wanted to go home all the time <laughs> When you say you moved and you had issues, I guess, with both the food and staying away from friends, I was just curious, like, uh, when, you, when you say food, like, were you saying just on, like, Warwick campus because there wasn't, like, too many options around campus? Or do you mean, like, generally? Because generally, there's not actually much English food I think I've ever eaten in my life, even though I'm from the UK. Yeah, I get you. I think it's more just, I was just so used to things like, oh, this is going to sound really weird, like, I don't know, like sushi. Because, like, in, in Hong Kong, oh, yeah, yeah. sushi is really cheap. Like, you'll just walk on the street and you'll get like a lot of sushi shops and everything's so cheap whereas like for example in the uk like japanese food is quite expensive like it's just, yeah, it's just stuff yeah. like that and then because i went to school in the uk before i went to uni so i was in the school in surrey and it was quite secluded if that's the word like it was just not much going on and and, I, and i'm from hong kong like i'm not used to not having anything going on and the restaurants being sort of like pubs and it, it was just quite a lot really <laughs> yeah but, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, now that I live in London, not right now, but like I normally live in London. Um, London's fine. Like you get any sort of like food that you want, to be honest. I know like around where I work, people just love sushi. And I've never really, <laughs> I'm not a person that likes fish, but like people just love sushi and they love paying ridiculous prices for it. I love sushi, but it's just, it's just a shame that it's so expensive in the UK. Otherwise I'll be having it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I think around Soho, you could probably get it cheaper because I think around Soho's in general, like that's where I find the cheapest food mm. and most expensive at the same time. But mm. you can get like a mix of like a lot more Oriental food, more like Asian, more different cuisines like Lebanese mm. and everything more at ease. Some are more expensive, some are cheaper, but it just depends on which one you pick. Yeah, Soho's pretty good. Yeah, I've discovered some over my years in London. I've discovered some like little like smaller scale Japanese restaurants and like Asian food as well so it's just from experience you just need to know where to go basically in the yeah. UK <laughs> so you actually you didn't come to the UK for university initially well I guess that was in a larger plans but you came for school first yeah I, so I came for A levels then university okay. so kind of this the, the sort of idea behind it is that is yeah sort of you get sort of better chances of getting into a UK university if you've gone to a UK school okay. I wouldn't say that it's necessarily true or not but that's what my mom believed at the time mm-hmm. um, I don't have any stats to back it up but that's what that's what she thought and she thought that it would be sort of better for me to ease into the UK the younger I came here which I actually like in hindsight I do agree with I feel like especially because in because I went to I went to school in Surrey it was a boarding school and it was just a lot whereas and you you're forced to interact with people because you're just trapped in the same space whereas I feel like if I went to Warwick and that was the first thing I ever did like yeah. I don't know in uni it's just a lot more free like you, you could if you choose to you could just never interact with anyone and I probably wouldn't have sort of blended in in the same way if I hadn't come to school before <laughs> yeah I was, I was probably a bit guilty of that at the beginning yeah, it's it's quite easy. You have to really sort of like be very comfortable with yourself. I feel like in uni, because it's quite challenging. They just chuck you into an environment where like, you know, never met anyone, you're supposed to like live with them or whatnot. But you could also just stay in your room and no one would actually really care that much, to be honest. So it's just kind of like, <laughs> whereas in boarding school, it's kind of like you don't really have that option. <laughs> I was actually curious as to if, if when setting, you know, in the accommodations, you have to set your preferences, yeah? like in terms of like, what similar what like interests you and so on i was curious if they even looked at that and properly put people in or people put in something mm. that didn't align up because i i swear like i had i was in a flat that there were no there's nothing in common so i was just <laughs> like yeah i basically i i struggled to find like friends at uni initially as well so i was just like what if my accommodation had actually matched my maybe some of my interests up would it have made a difference i'm not sure if anyone else had the same issue or anything like the thing is, for me, I feel like I was quite lucky because the girl that was literally right next to me, her name's Paula, she liked dancing as well. And she also did politics. So I feel like for me, like they mm. actually did try because I did put like dance in sort of like my interests. But I've also had some friends who also had a similar situation as you. So I think it's quite difficult. <laughs> the main reason I think I was fine was because it was my insurance. So obviously I can understand why it probably... Um, they don't care enough, you know, to do it. But yeah, I was still like, you know, if they tried to match as much people up as possible, maybe it could have helped with flat scenarios. Or it could have, to be honest, it could have been their plan to, you know, make people meet completely new people. But who knows? Yeah, I was in Cryfield. That was definitely not my first or second or third choice. But I met lovely people. Yeah. Is Cryfield the really bad one? It, like, it's the one that's more prison. Like, it's really bad. What? Like the closest to the SU, that one? um kind of yeah it's 
it's closest to the SU. No, 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 that's Roots. In between the SU and Oculus, those ones. No, 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 no. That no, that's really bad. But that's not Cryfield. Why is that? Okay. Like is that Tosfield or something? I forgot the name, but that one had rats in it. One of my friends lived in one of those. Like yeah, those, they, those look like huts or something. Then. Yeah, yeah. No, no, like... no, 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 no. Actually, no. Cryfield was actually better than that. But Cryfield was yeah. cheaper than that one. Um, so a lot of people chose Cryfield as well. But I, did, I personally didn't. But it was. I don't know. I met great people in Cryfield. Yeah. <laughs> It's character building, isn't it? Non-Warwick people <laughs> listening to this are also like, what is SU, what is Cryfield, what is Tussle, what is like all these things that we yeah. just said in one go? These are all accommodations just for people who don't know Warwick. Yeah. Um, moving a bit back from Warwick, how did you find the difference in the education system from like your local school in Hong Kong to like the A-levels you studied in Surrey? So I would say that the biggest difference was that... Um, people ask questions here like people actually challenge the teacher and they would like they would just speak up and whereas I feel like in, in, in Hong Kong for local schools the generic culture is to just sit there and listen like you don't really you know you absorb knowledge but you don't really question what's given to you whereas when I came here like you know I, I was in I did history and politics as well at A-level and people would just ask a ton of questions but to me always at the back of my head I was just kind of like but that's history like what is there to ask like you know there's a mm. book in front of you like why are you asking so many questions so I feel like that's definitely you know there's the sort of like critical thinking element is not as much emphasized in sort of like the local system because I but then on the other hand, like one thing that I found was quite intriguing is that like, because I did maths as well. And I realized that when I, when I came to UK and I did A-level maths, the stuff that was being taught, at least in the first term or the first two terms, I had learned two years before in Hong Kong. So oh, in really? terms of like, yeah, so in terms of the, okay. the, the math, like it's, it's just on a different sort of like, just speed. And I found that yeah. quite weird because, uh, because at the time when I learned it in Hong Kong, I found that content very difficult. But then obviously, because I've done it for two years, and then I learned it again at A-levels, it was then too easy. And I was just kind of like, what's going on? Um, so I, yeah, it's just, it's, it's a bit weird. <laughs> it's different. I don't know, that, that, that sounds cool to me that you'd be like, yeah, you just know it. But I know, did people like look at you a bit weirdly or be like, okay, she's a bit of a know-it-all, like it's a bit unfair, she's studied this already. No, I guess I didn't know. But one thing that I found really, I mean, this isn't like a bad thing or anything, but like, I, I'm not. I'm not a maths genius. Like I, 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 you know, I was reasonably good at it. That that was it. But then these teachers in the UK that taught me maths, because I've learned it before, I was obviously better at it than everyone else. They just sort of thought that I was some like next level genius. <laughs> I didn't really know how to explain to them that I wasn't. Um, so no, but that, I just found it quite interesting. But like, I mean, further on, this was just about like, you know, the first sort of two terms of like the first year of A-levels. Obviously when we moved on, there was stuff that I had never done before. <laughs> so this is just yeah. like, like the starting point it was a bit different but yeah no that was yeah but everyone else was just kind of like oh yeah she's just from hong kong that's just what, how it is and i was just like okay yeah i was gonna say like do you think like the asian kind of background came into that at all like them knowing you're asian and just assume because i i've said that in a previous episode where when i went to school just because i was like the only one of few very few asian kids i was just assumed smart I don't think I was assumed smart, but I would say that I was assumed by, you know, people like sort of like my peers, not my teachers, that um, I was very hardworking, yeah, like yeah, very, yeah. very hardworking, like the type that would literally only like look at books and stuff. Hmm. Um, so I would say that that was definitely a stereotype that came in. 
Like, I don't know. I don't, I don't feel like I'm like that. I mean, I definitely work hard, but not to the level that they thought that I was working. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. But um, um, I mean, I'm also like, you know, because I'm also, I'm white passing, like I look white. So I feel like in terms of the stuff that you've been through, I don't think I can necessarily relate, but. You know, it wasn't anything like deep or anything. It's just. Yeah. In, if anything, I quite liked it. Like, yeah, um, that's cool. <laughs> like, you think I'm so smart. <laughs> Go boost. <laughs> yeah. Um, as you said, like you, you're mixed race your dad's english so your mom's my mom's chinese was she born in hong kong uh yeah yeah, yeah. hong kong like born yeah. yeah how was that growing up especially in hong kong so i would say like it's it's <laughs> it's mixed so i, I it, it's never like i was never you know discriminated against like none of that because hmm. as i explained before like hong kong used to be a colony like there's even till this day like it, it hasn't been a colony for 23 years now there's still quite a deep sense of sort of like white superior sort of sort of thing because we, right. we sort of think about sort of like the western world as a more you know forward like more open society and so growing up like I was definitely you know get preferential treatment in some sort of ways over some other kids but I would say the the biggest thing that is less grand because that was like on a macro level like I got a lot of white privilege and stuff but like on a sort of like a micro level just for me I found it very difficult because I just never even till this day like never saw myself as English or white like I just don't see it mm. at all because like you know like Cantonese my mother tongue like I used to you know listen to Chinese music whatever like I'm just Chinese and so growing <laughs> up it was quite difficult trying to convince people that I am and I just found it quite like I don't know as after some, like at first it was kind of like oh yeah I could just sort of tell them about myself but then it got to a point where every single person starts questioning who you are and then you're just kind of like oh yeah whatever like yeah <laughs> but I mean in, in in Hong Kong I guess it's a little bit different because the moment I start speaking Cantonese people do know that I'm local because I don't speak with an accent and stuff so it's kind of right. more easy to prove that I'm <laughs> Chinese um, but then you know this is fast forwarding me coming to the UK when I'm trying to prove to people that I'm not English then that's a bit more difficult because they don't understand Cantonese and then they're just like oh okay. yeah you think you can speak Chinese yeah yeah. Uh, when I was just like, yeah, but why do I have to prove it to you? But yeah, anyway, so that's just like a sort of like a lifelong thing. But I wouldn't say it's like a bad thing. It's just frustrating, I guess, sometimes. Like I, you know, you have to sort of prove to like a random like taxi driver that you're like local. And it's just yeah. kind of, yeah. <laughs> you, you said like there were instances where you maybe got treated a bit better because you're a mixed race. I can't really pinpoint at specific moments, but I would say... Just, you can just feel um, it, I guess. You get the feeling, the way people yeah. look at you. And then, oh, I mean, there was one time where, <laughs> but this was when I was a lot older. So this wasn't when I was younger. So there was one time where I went to a club with a few of my friends. So it was me, another white guy, a black girl, and an Asian guy. And <laughs> we just essentially walked to the club. There was a bit of a queue. So we were queuing, we were queuing, it was fine. We got to the front of the queue and there was a bouncer and he essentially just waved us straight through. So me, the white guy and the black girl and my Asian friend was assumed to be with another group. And then he just wasn't let in. And so at first we thought we, it was a mistake because it was and we were just kind of like, oh, no, but he's with us. And then the bouncer was just like, no, just just no. And and then so it's kind of like because I feel like they, they like to let in sort of foreigners into clubs to make them more attractive to locals to go in. Um, so that was, I, I feel like that's the only thing super specific that I can sort of point to that was a bit like, oh, I guess I'm not seen as the same as my friends. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we left the club afterwards because we were like, mm -hmm. we're just not having any of this. Uh, maybe they also think that 
like because because they i guess assume you're a tourist or some or something like that it may be better to make your experience better so that it doesn't look bad on the country or so and then you're more likely to come back etc so yeah it I was guess, just i was just so yeah. angry at the time i was just yeah we, we tried to reason with him but then after sort of like two minutes you sort of realize that you know they're not gonna budge and so we just left <laughs> so it's just kind of and, I, and i'm sure stuff like that happens all the time like in sort of you know the club area which is Langwai Fong like you, you do see sort of like a divide sometimes you walk into a bar and it's all locals and then you walk into another bar and it's all expats or stuff like that so but anyway so back to growing up I would say it's just the way people would look at my family and not in a bad way but in a sort of like oh okay uh, let them through or like oh they speak English it's fine let's just yeah they're, they're a bit different um, in a good way type of thing so yeah <laughs> Also, I, I feel like, you know, I guess it's, I'm not being too fair on Hong Kong people because in general, if you see a mixed race kid in Hong Kong, by mixed race, I mean Eurasian. So someone like me, like mostly the parents send them to international schools. So so in maybe 95, okay. I mean, I don't have stats, but like it's very, very likely that if you see someone like me, I wouldn't be able to speak a word of Chinese. So that's what they sort of link it to. But yeah, my mom at the time was... When I was really young, she was like, oh, but if we send her to international school, she'll never speak a word of Chinese and want my daughter to speak Chinese. And so she sent me to look. And yeah. at first I resented her for that because actually I didn't mention this, but like growing up, I did, my English wasn't very good. As in like I had like a bit of a Chinese accent, obviously, because I went to local school and stuff. And, you know, it, it was a bit like weird for me to feel like I didn't have like, you know, the accent um, which at the mm. time was sort of like the American accent, like the sort of like, I really wanted to speak like the girls you would see on Gossip Girl and stuff like that. But I didn't sound <laughs> like that. And I remember when I was really young, like five or six, I used to really like resent my mom for not, you know, giving me that type of accent. But now I know that she did it for like best because, yeah, I do agree. If I went to international school, I wouldn't really be speaking Chinese. And it's a bit of a, yeah, I'm glad that I do. <laughs> yeah, b- big fan of Gossip Girl, by the way. Big fan. Um, <laughs> Bit of a side note, how did your parents meet? Oh, uh, they, they met when they were work, both working in London. And yeah, yeah my, dad's, my dad was working. Yeah, they were both working in London and then they met and then they came back to Hong Kong to get married. I think they then moved back to the UK for like a little bit. Then they came back to Hong Kong just intending to stay for like three years. But three years became 20, <laughs> 30. I don't know. I think 30 now, 35 or something. <laughs> I think at the time, yeah, my dad, I think he found a better job here compared to one he had in the UK and so he just wanted to stay and did you I'm guessing your dad now learned like Cantonese um so <laughs> my mother always tells me this so essentially my dad knew a bit of Mandarin before right. he met my mum even that was like out of pure interest but then for Cantonese it's quite difficult to learn because it's you know there's not much structure I don't know if any if both of you have any sort of knowledge of Cantonese but essentially there's oh nope. uh, yeah but essentially there's just a lot of different tones and to a person that isn't used to listening to it growing up it all just sounds a bit the same sometimes so he tried to learn when my brother was born he tried to learn it with my brother because he sort of felt that you know if I just learn it day by day and this is a toddler learning the same language as well I can maybe try and at some point be able to master the language but babies learn in a different way babies learn a lot quicker <laughs> and so when my brother got to sort of like four or five years old and he could fully speak I think my dad realized that he can't keep up with that level and so he's still he's still sort of like you know he can speak it but some tones are a bit wrong he's not incredibly fluent but he yeah he, so he's tried but I wouldn't say he's fluent <laughs> <laughs> to be fair I, I don't really know like how many languages are there in China um so so yeah so Cantonese is a dialect and I think there are over 50 dialects in China 
um oh, wow. yeah i think over 50 yeah, yeah but but the sort of like the the chinese so like the official language is mandarin right because i know in india they have like loads of different languages i'm clueless about that as well but is that also like dialects hamish or is it you ask me as if i'm gonna know i, I thought you might know more than me though oh <laughs> uh, uh, just barely i don't know if they're like that i know like for example the bit i speak i speak like a slang of Gujarati, but i can still understand normal Gujarati for the most part if that makes sense and right. this no by slang i don't mean mixed with english i mean that they just i guess you know how you're saying tone this is like they're using different syllables to say the same thing. So when you're speaking to someone who speaks proper Gujarati, like when my Gujarati teacher, I'm sure would just be like, Fine, why are you talking this slang shit in my class? Like, you're so It's talk properly. And I'm like, I don't know how to talk properly. This is all I hear at home. So this is all I know. Yeah, so I'm not like aware. I, I would only maybe know like, oh, heard of like the names of a couple other languages. But even then, like, I'm not the cultured person to ask you. I'm not cultured enough. I'm more cultured than you, Aaron, in terms of... <laughs> Indian stuff, but I'm not cultured enough to, to tell us. Yeah, yeah. So, what's like the main language spoken in Hong Kong? Uh, Cantonese. But we all had to, growing up, we all had to learn English in school and we all had to learn Mandarin in school as well. So, you grow up okay. by default, your school system gives you three languages. But it's a bit different because, like, uh, how do I explain this? Uh, Mandarin and Cantonese are based on the same written language. It's just spoken differently in different tones and then it's a bit more lo- colloquial kind of like spanish and italian type of thing like you kind of can broadly make out what the other person is saying but it's not the same so if you write it down it's the same if you write it down it's the same yeah that's mad so then how do you know how do you know if you're when so you get given this sheet of paper which has this writing on it how do you know if it's cantonese or it's mandarin wait i don't think i explained it really well so basically when we learn to write chinese let's just say that we all write in chinese And then, you know, when you speak Cantonese, you speak a colloquial version. So some of the grammar of what you're writing down will be changed a little bit, but you're never really supposed to write down Cantonese. Like it's not, you know, the the official written script is Chinese. So it's all, so yeah, so so writing. So we learn something called, in school, we learn something called the written language, and then you speak something else. So the written language is just Chinese, and that's the same throughout all of China. But then, then and then you speak Mandarin, but then when you, you know, speak to your friends, you speak Cantonese and that's a little bit different. It's very hard to explain. <laughs> Do you think from, so from the outside, that just sounds like massively complicated. <laughs> like you, uh, you know, English as well. Is it, do you see it as like, this, like they're both just as complicated as each other or? No, English is so like easy in comparison. Okay. <laughs> that's the general consensus here as well is that sort of english is just quite like straightforward it's just like a sentence and then i don't know i don't know how to explain it but yeah but i feel like i don't know because i feel like in chinese you just get more words and maybe i just know more words in chinese but i just feel like it's just more it's more poetic it's more yeah. um you could you could say so much in just because it's by characters you can say so much in just like three characters but i, I feel like i'm biased because you know i chinese is my language <laughs> to be fair i i think i think any other language other than english poetic. is more yeah it's more poetic than yeah. english <laughs> english i think it's just like a very straightforward monotone language obviously it's the main language i know but i just think like it's so much harder to spell in another language just because i know that Bear in mind that I'm like a ba- I can write and read basic majority, but um, I know that if I hear you say the word, I can't spell it correctly because so when we speak, I don't know, like when 
someone else speaks and that they can like either you know how you do the what is that thing with your tongue you do when you like when you know when you do the oh, roll your tongue or whatever yeah and like yeah. say like letters with a different like impact i can't hear that same thing so i don't know how to spell it in the in Gujarati, so i just like mm. yeah i just remember that in school and i was just like yeah i'm gonna fuck up my listening test um <laughs> i'm gonna fuck up all of these tests um so yeah like i feel like english is just like you don't have to worry like if you hear like you know, someone say like a word, you pretty much know how to spell it. But in another language, it's just like, like, help, please. Yeah, I mean, I can't like, like Chinese is the only sort of like other language that I know. But yeah, I don't know. I just feel like there's just a bit more to it. But I mean, I say this to my dad all the time, who's English. And my dad just strongly defends the English language. So I feel <laughs> like maybe I just need to study English a little bit more to say stuff like this. But, yeah, yeah, the, the, uh, Oxford English Dictionary is pretty big, so <laughs> plenty of words. Uh, did so then when you came over to the UK to live, did you experience any like kind of uh, problems with being like mixed race or any anything racial at all? I wouldn't necessarily. I, I, again, I do emphasize this. Obviously, I am white passing. You can see me like so. I, I wouldn't say that I have been subjected to a lot of very direct racism, but I would say that there have been occasions where because I'm seen as white and it's a group of white people and they would sometimes let it slip something that they would say about Chinese people. Um, oh, and right, okay. so it's, it's kind of a very indirect loop around situation where how I experience racism, but I would just say that, yeah, I just feel like it doesn't really matter where I am, like Hong Kong here. Like I feel like people don't really understand what it means to be mixed race. Like they, they try very hard to put you in, a box or they force you to choose they'll be like oh yeah so uh what are you actually or who do you identify with more and stuff yeah, like that yeah. i guess for me like I, I find that question easy to answer because i do just identify as chinese and as simple as that but i do know that some of my other friends who are also mixed race they see themselves as both and when questions are being asked like that it's just kind of like i don't know i would just have expected people in the uk to be a bit more open-minded about mixed race people seeing that uk is just a little bit more diverse than hong kong but i haven't found that as sort of my experience anyway but i would i, I wouldn't i wouldn't necessarily say that i've had any sort of outward issues it's more just kind of like people would think that i'm english then they talk to me for a little bit they'll realize that i don't understand a lot of references i don't understand a lot of like you know movies or or cartoons you're supposed to have seen as a kid then they will start to talk that i'm a bit different but they still can't really tell why i'm different and then i have to sort of have to explain that i didn't really grow up here i'm this this and that but you know it, it's not always a good or appropriate time to just sort of be like hi i'm chinese do you know what i mean like you don't just really drop it into conversation like that yeah um so it's just kind of like yeah but I don't know. I, I found it quite. I'm over it now. Like I just sort of, I just sort of say it up front. Like whenever any, whenever I meet anyone new, I'm just like, oh yeah, I'm from Hong Kong, just to get out the way, so I don't have to like, sort of like, sort of, you know, when something else pops up and they realize that I don't never watch this movie before, I don't have to explain myself again. <laughs> <laughs> no, I get, I get the. Uh, I mean, say so you like people who are mixed race, and then a lot of time people are just trying to define them by one thing. Like it doesn't yeah. make sense to a lot of people when they're like. I'm half this, I'm half this, I'm a quarter this, I'm a three quarters yeah. this. And then and then just like university, I guess, in general. So you went Warwick, same as both of us. How did you find Warwick? Was that a university that you like your brother went to as well? You said he studied in the UK. Uh, no, no, no. So my brother went to LSE. And okay. uh, yeah, the reason why I chose Warwick is because yeah, my brother basically just told me that being in London means that you don't really get a campus life. 
Hmm. And I think that I really wanted that. And so I was just kind of like, London unis are probably not my thing. Warwick, I actually really, really enjoyed it. I just found, <laughs> I mean, I don't really want to throw my boarding school under the bus, but I did find Warwick a lot more diverse, even though I've heard from other friends of mine that have said that Warwick is not very diverse, but I find Warwick a lot more diverse than the yeah, school yeah. I went to. I found Warwick, people were really nice and people weren't as outwardly sort of like racist and sexist as people that were in my unnamed school. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, so I don't know. I, I really enjoyed Warwick and I also liked that because I danced a lot in Warwick and that was like the, the main thing that I did. And yeah, I just liked uni life in general. Like it, cause I did politics. I only had eight hours of class every single week. Um, so there was a lot of, yeah, eight hours, yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know about you guys. But, um, yeah, I've heard some horror stories of people having like, what, like 30, like 25 hours. Can't relate. Um, but yeah, so I, I just I just found uni quite enjoyable in that sense. Like I was able to have a lot of time to do things that I really liked and that the people were really nice and people were smart, stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, I was buzzing for the campus life. Like as someone who was like really socially awkward, I, I loved the idea of just everything just being on campus and I didn't have to like leave anywhere. Yeah. But then you find it's out that a lot of good stuff is outside of campus. But No, I actually I actually quite enjoyed the campus, but I also really liked Lem. Did you guys live in Lem? Yeah, I liked Lem. And you so you said you went to uh you mentioned boarding school. So like boarding school is where you stay at the school, right? Or you don't have to. Uh, yeah, boarding school is when, so when, when I was there, they just started a day house. So a day house being that the people there are just day pupils, so they don't stay the night, they maybe live right. locally. But yeah, the, the whole point is that you do stay there like overnight and you just stay there for the whole term. Did you stay? Yeah, 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 yeah I did. Cause, uh, cause like my, my, you know, my family were in Hong Kong and I didn't like have family that lived around Surrey. So I stayed, I stayed there. Yeah. Oh, so it was a boarding school in England. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was a boarding school. Yeah. 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 And yeah. sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. How do, how do you find, cause my, my dad went to a boarding school in India and like when he used to talk about it, like it was very, it just seemed a bit shit. Obviously that was a, like a long time ago and is in a different country. And like, there's a lot of shit that like was allowed back then, but I don't know. I always grew up under the impression like boarding school was not a good place to be, but I think it's, I think it's a very different now. Yeah, yeah, no, I like, like, whenever most people that are sent abroad to study go to a boarding school, like the mm. ones in Hong Kong, because you just obviously you just get to stay on campus and stuff. Sorry, I completely lost the question. What were you asking? Yeah, I, I don't even know what my question was. Uh, it was more just like, how, uh, how did you find boarding school, like staying, I guess, at the school? I guess it's similar to uni. Was that kind of the. Yeah, vibe, yeah, it's. It, kind of it's kind of exactly the same as uni actually except that you get meals cooked for you as well and we didn't right. even do our own laundry like it was all provided because you're still like in the in the school system you're still seen as a child even though at the time when I went I was 17 so yeah so it's just stuff is done for you it's it's very intense um some of the boys that I went to school they've been there since they were 13 so they spend their sort mm. of 13 to 18 uh, years there. So, And then you just grow up with the same group that you go to class with and you go to sleep with. Not in the same room, but you know what I mean? Like in yeah, the same yeah. sort of like house. So yeah, it's it's very intense. You get to know the people very well, like all sides of them. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a mental, like it's a challenge, but it's it's good. You, get, you come up with friends that you're really close with or 
on the alternative people you really really don't like <laughs> yeah i don't know I, I i feel like for me like i'm grateful for sort of like the the sort of level of of education like the teachers were really good supportive and stuff like that but i didn't really enjoy it as much because i felt like people were a bit sort of inward looking like it was quite it's very predominantly white very much you know I wouldn't say anti-foreign, that's a little bit strong, but very mm. English, like very like, you know, we're English type of thing. So I found it quite hard to sort of blend in with that. But also it's just because people are a bit younger anyway, because when I when I got to uni, like people were a bit older. And so they're sort of like, you know, we are English and whoever's different is just so different that we're not even going to try with them. That sort of mindset wasn't necessarily there. Which is why I also liked Warwick a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I guess I guess it's like Hogwarts. Hogwarts is a boarding school, basically, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> and that, that, that I guess that seems like pretty cool. Yeah, it's Probably yeah. I would comparison. say yeah. It depends. You just have to sort of get into the routine because it's kind of like you know I didn't see it that way when I was there, but it's kind it's kind of like you're just trapped there because you just right. you know you can't leave. There's not much reason for me to leave at the time because around the school there wasn't much else, but. You know, like I, I came from Hong Kong, which was like a buzzing city. Then I'm suddenly chucked into this school in essentially the middle of nowhere with so many like, you know, fields around it. And it was a bit like, oh, I guess I'm just here now for the next three months. Like, So could you like go, if you went to go to like Tesco or like go to the shops or something, could you do that? Um, you could, but at specific times. And also you need to get permission from at the time what we call the housemaster. Bearing in mind that like we work, we were kids, I guess, and yeah. they, they're really responsible for our safety. And so we can walk into the sort of the town that was nearby, but it's only on specific days and specific times. And weekends, you just like, um, so chilling. weekends you can choose to um, you can choose to leave campus. Again, you need like signatures and stuff, but they always they always let you go, like unless you're in you know detention or whatever. So yeah, you get to go home for a weekend. Or you just stay on campus. Nothing much really goes on over the weekend in campus. So at the time, my brother was working in London. So I would just go down to see my brother sometimes. But mm. other weekends, you know, you just sort of chill, go to the gym. It's sort of like weekend in uni, you know, like there's not much going on. And you're just yeah. sort of there. Yeah, something you touched on just like a few moments ago, dance. I, I, I've seen your Instagram, so I like kind of know. But do you tell us like what, what kind of like dance do you do? So I do hip hop mainly. So I, yeah, at Warwick, I was with like a crew and we used to do like competitions and stuff. But now, yeah, I do stuff like contemporary as well. But yeah, in London, I'm with a crew as well with actually people that I also met at Warwick that formed a crew on their own when they left Warwick. And then when I left Warwick as well, I was just like, oh, can I join? So yeah, so that's been a thing that um, I dedicate quite a lot of time to. So yeah, I dance a lot. But obviously with COVID, <laughs> I'm now dancing at home. <laughs> Yay. Also, when you say contempt, I don't know. I don't even know the word. <laughs> what does that mean? Did I say contempt? Well, con- well, it, no, no. You said I couldn't say the full word because I don't know what it was. Oh, contemporary. Yeah. Oh, I'm oh, not going to try pronouncing it. It's like present, oh. right? Like current stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what the word means. But like contemporary dancing is more like how do I describe it? It's like ballet without the shoes. So <laughs> it's kind of like okay. yeah, ballet, but you dance bare feet, and you know, there's technique, but it's sort of mixed with like jazz and stuff. So it's more like you know, because you know, hip hop is hip hop, and then there's mm-hmm. the other side. So more like lyrical dancing, I guess. <laughs> okay, and when you say crew, is that just group of people? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so the crew I'm in right now, um, it's called the Archetype. So it's like twenty of us, and based in London. And we, well, this is before COVID. Um, we used to, you know, rehearse twice a week, and we train together. We do like you know competitions and shows, and yeah. So 
that's pretty nice. Like all of us in the crew, we're all none of us are full time dancers. Okay. Um, so we're all just, you know, we all have our own jobs and stuff and dance is something that we do like afterwards. So we're able to sort of like in our rehearsals and stuff accommodate to that sort of like scheduling because if, if you're in like a, like a normal crew, um, you probably will be rehearsing from nine to five for like three days a week or four days a week. But obviously with us that like, we can't do that. So it's kind of, it's, it's really nice that I got to do that. Oh my gosh, I'm saying this in past tense. I will still get to do it after <laughs> COVID as well, but. <laughs> But yeah, but yeah, that was, that was, that was really nice. How did it all like start? How did, cause you said before you went to university, you put dance as like one of your interests. So you were doing it prior to university, I assume. Like, how did you get into it in the first place? Yeah. So, well, so I, I, when I was, you know, about four or five, my mum got me, enrolled me into like a ballet class. So I did ballet from when I was four to about when I was 12. I didn't really like it, but I think as a kid, I sort of saw it as like a thing that, oh, I guess I'm doing this now until I got to about 12 and I realized that, oh, I actually have the option to not do it if I don't want to do it. Um, And I wasn't very good at it. So I was just like, you know what? No, not again. And then in school, that was like my first year in school. And then my school had like a dance team and they had like different categories and they had hip hop as well. And so I joined it when I was 13. And so I met my dance teacher there. And, you know, like since then I've just started and then gradually because he teaches in a studio in Hong Kong. So he was like, oh, come, you know, come take class in my studio. So I went to his studio and then in the studio, he's obviously not just the only teacher. So I started taking class with like a different sort of amount of teachers. And so, yeah, so I've been, I've been doing sort of like this type of dancing that I do now since I was like 13. And yeah, so, and, and then in Warwick, I joined the crew and I met a lot of people. Um, it was Echo. I don't know if you guys heard of it, but that was who we danced with. And then, and then now, yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's pretty cool. And then at university, was it a society you say, or was it, you found each other like separately? Oh it, yeah, it was a society. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. it was a society. So in like my first week I joined, yeah, Echo is the name of the crew at Warwick. Yeah, yeah so it was, yeah, it's just in Freshers, like the Freshers, was it Freshers Fair? Was it in the first week? I don't even remember. It's all, oh my gosh, yeah, I graduated yeah. so long ago. But anyway, one of those. And then, yeah, I just heard of them. Actually, no, oh my gosh, this has just come back to me. Actually, when I was choosing uni and I remember like I had an offer from Warwick and I, at the time I was just like, oh my gosh, I have to dance in uni because I, you know, I just, I just need to. And then I, I came across Echo's page on like sort of like the Warwick mm-hmm. Society page and I was just like, oh my gosh, they look good. Let me go to Warwick now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, to be fair to Warwick, I do think, if I remember right, when we were like applying and all, Warwick had like the largest number of societies or something like that in the UK. I don't look at these kind of things. That's mad. Probably. I think I had like 200 or something. Yeah, Hamish, you kind of just went like blindfolded. Well, basically, it's more that, I don't know, like I had never known about anything in higher education or anything. And there was no one to ever tell me. So like, no cousins, etc. So like when I was applying, I was doing our pure ranking on the league tables. That's what I was applying based on. So yeah, like that's why like even when I got to uni, I didn't know about like the stuff happening in the first week, such as society fairs and so on. And obviously I had struggled to obviously find anyone to kind of like click with. So I would never have been because I wouldn't have been aware of it or anything. Obviously I'd seen those books and stuff, but I was like, cool, let me just get myself sorted. Let me just get all my necessities and all of that stuff here. I wasn't under the mindset. I'm like, oh shit, I need to go join the society or anything. Cause I, I didn't know they existed. Yeah. So I was like, I was like pretty, I guess, yeah, blindfolded. Yeah. It's just kind of going blindfolded. And that's just cause of, there was no one to tell us, like not even the teachers, like had told me about all of this stuff. So 
And I guess there's also an issue on my side because I never went to look into it. All I did was just look at what the computer science aspect was at each university that I was looking at. And that's it. Yeah. I didn't see. I don't think it's something like school. teachers tell you about societies and all. I think I was just so nervous about university. I like looked up everything I possibly could. So mm. I was like knew as much as I could before I went. Yeah, for me, it's it's actually weird because in Hong Kong, like university dance societies are quite a big thing. And so yeah. I sort of just was like, oh, can I actually find the same type of thing in the UK? And so I was just like, yeah, they, they must have a dance society because if they have it in Hong Kong, they definitely have it over there. So, um, <laughs> so did you end up, you said you've competed a bit. Is that from Echo? Yeah, we joined every single year. We joined three competitions, like in Manchester, Nottingham and in Loughborough. And so every single year I did those. Oh, best time of my life. <laughs> I really miss them. Yeah, they're, they're like actually like, you know, my closest friends even to this day, actually. Because with dance, you because you rehearse so much, you spend mm. so much time together. So and then you obviously have the same interest. And so those are just like a lot of my friends in life are actually friends from dance, like from different like areas, like in Hong yeah. Kong or in the UK. So. Yeah, so we did, we did a lot of that, probably a bit too much. <laughs> Didn't spend enough time in the library, but, but yeah, no, I love it. <laughs> yeah, rehearsals do seem like so intense. And it seems like such a, especially the type of dance you do, it seems like really like fitness, like intensive. You have to be like really fit to be able to, I guess, dance with so much. I don't know. I don't know yeah, energy. And it seems like yeah, explosive. Yeah. It seems like quite an explosive style. Yeah, um, yes and no. I guess you, you kind of you kind of get fit through doing it a lot. But you also need to be fit to get better at it. So yeah, it was a lot of exercise. It was a lot of Lucasade and you know, <laughs> digestives and not really proper meals because rehearsals go beyond like meal times. It was quite yeah. But I, I don't know. I like it. it. It's I just like that it's a it's exercise with but not with a lot of effort because I personally find going to the gym quite a boring thing. Like I don't yeah. enjoy making myself suffer in pain. And but like dancing is you know it could be quite painful sometimes and sometimes I can't breathe. But I love it. So <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask about like, you know how you said you enter. Did you actually enter in any competitions? Like where, what was the standings? If you don't mind asking that. Yeah. Like where's your experience with relation? I don't know if you like compete against other groups, like generally or like practice with other groups. But like, how does that stuff really work for people who don't know about dance? Sort of myself. So in uni with Echo, yeah, we competed and we normally placed sort of like top three of like two we do three competitions like national like uni competitions every single year and we tend to place top three in at least two of them but one of them like the Loughborough one is one of the biggest ones ever so you get like 20 unis competing so it's not really it's quite hard to get top three but like in my second year we did that was kind of nice with my crew right now the archetype we joined stuff like we did join a competition that we won back in 2017, but I would say that in general, it's less competition, but more performances now because, yeah, I don't know. In, in London, there are just so many opportunities and Archetype has been, a Archetype, so my crew in London right now, they've been a crew since 2014. And I think that at the time that I joined, which was 2017, they had already done a lot of competitions and they were moving more towards the performance side as I joined. So for me, I've only... I think I've only done two competitions with them, but maybe like five or six performances or even more. So so right now, normally I do like performances more. How is it like all judged? Like how do they determine a win? Is there criteria they have to meet? Do they just give you like ratings out of 10 or something? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so for uh, actually for all of the competitions I've done, you at the end of it you get a mark sheet, and there'll be different categories. There'll be like you know creativity or like choreography or technique mm. or whatever, and then they just mark you out of ten and they give you a score, and they could give you like comments and stuff as well. So, so yeah. So and it's you know the judges tend to be like just like famous dancers and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. Although I I do remember in one university competition they had a category uh, which was costumes and we were just all just like really like <laughs> and it was given the same weighting as like technique and like choreography and we were oh, just wow. like really Wait, you know when you're saying choreography like how does someone judge you on choreography like if that makes sense because it's just like any I guess from my understanding it's just a routine. So how do you judge like a routine if that's you incorrect? I could be completely wrong. No, you're right, but there's a complexity, right? Because it's kind of like saying that you know, like if you're writing a paragraph, like it's just words, right? Like it's not, it's not <laughs> just words. It's it's the way you sort of use different words differently and how people execute the stuff as well. So, so I mean, it's also still depends on the dancer, but you can you can see what the moves were and how they were put together, whether or not it was intricate, whether or not it goes with the music or it doesn't. So stuff like that would be how you judge choreography. Okay. Yeah. yeah, and then performances. Are you kind of so as the archetype? Are you like hired out to like do performances, or is it kind of you rock up somewhere and perform or a mix even? It's a mix. I think some of the stuff we do is paid, definitely. Some of the stuff we do, it could be like for like a friend's wedding mm. or a friend's whatever that sort of stuff. Sometimes it's not paid, but yeah, mostly, mostly, mostly it's for money. But the the money goes into the team fund, which is used to then, for example, buy costumes or book rehearsal space. Um, because in yeah. London, rehearsal space is quite expensive. But there's plenty of us. So and and every single month we contribute to like a sort of like a team fee as well. So so yeah. So all of that money just sort of goes in the same pot that then gets poured back into us. So it's quite nice. <laughs> yeah. Did you have to like audition to get in? Uh, yes. Um. I had. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Is the short answer. But essentially, it's kind of like I knew them. So so you kind of you know they knew me as I walked in, and it wasn't an. I didn't join at the time where there was an open audition. There were open auditions like the year before I joined. But the year that I joined, it was kind of like a closed audition where it's kind of like you come to a rehearsal, see if you can fit in, see if like, you know, the other people like you or whatnot. And then they're just kind of like, oh, yeah, 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 you're in. But it's not it's not like super formal, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. you know, something you said, like no one, it's not anyone's full-time job. No one's like a full-time like professional dancer. Is that something you've ever considered? I would say at some point, I mean, okay, so when I was maybe like 14 or 15, like I really, really liked dancing. But at the time I was in Hong Kong. And unfortunately in Hong Kong, like there's not much you can do as a dancer. Like you could do concerts and stuff and you can, yes, open a dance school. But I just didn't find it that attractive at the time. And I also had other things that I wanted to do. And so... I didn't really think about that. Then I moved to London after uni and I realized that in London, there's so many opportunities to do so many different things. And so at some point I was just like, oh yeah, maybe I could, but I don't know. I feel like I just have other things I wanted to do a bit more. So I, I, I wanted to be a lawyer and I am about to start my training contract in two months. Um, so that's something that I felt like I just had to sort of like get out of the way first. Maybe it's something that I could come back to yeah. I mean, I look quite young, so <laughs> I'm not going to age out of being a dancer anytime soon, I don't think. I mean, hopefully not. So maybe it's something that I could do again later. But I, I don't think that 
you know, that there were periods of time where I was quite young and also like right after uni that I sort of considered it, but then not really that seriously because I guess sometimes I'm also just a bit conservative as well. I just don't, I, I think it's quite risky to try and depend because in my head, like a career is something that gives you a stable income all the time. And I feel like being a dancer is kind of like, you know, up and down. Hmm. And I don't think I'm mentally ready for that sort of instability, if that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> it's quite a brave thing to do, I think. Yeah. What about like choreography? Is that something you do or something you want to do maybe? <laughs> I want to say that I do it more than I actually do. But yeah, no, I mean, back in uni, I did choreograph all the time because I had to teach classes and uni classes. And yeah. um, also I had to choreograph for like our competitions and performances and stuff but after uni it's kind of been like whenever I feel like it but that kind of just becomes you know twice a year with another friend because you know it's actually really life is busy you know <laughs> and choreography yeah. takes you know time and effort and I'm already dancing so much to then put in my own time to choreograph is just it was just a bit too much but yeah no I do I do like it I do do it, I would say maybe like once every four months or so. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you got a dance Instagram page. People should go check out. Yes, people should. <laughs> a lot of those seem like solo stuff as well. A lot of the stuff that you saw as in like the, the ones that are immediately on top, unfortunately, they're solo because of COVID. Like they're the ones that I've been doing. At right. Home. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. But no, no, but like even even before COVID, like I did used to sort of share like freestyles and stuff like when I'm doing it at home and stuff like that. So yeah, yeah. But I mean, I do, you know, dance is a community thing, like a doing it online doing it at home it's not the same thing so yeah now that now that the restrictions are easing a little bit like i've been i've been i've met up with one or two friends to dance together but hoping that i don't no longer have to dance alone <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah has that has that been uh i guess i was, I was gonna say has it been like difficult with covid but i guess it like literally means you haven't been able to dance like together at all um it, in a in a weird way um covid is kind of good for dancers in the sense that you get to now take class from people internationally because previously basically it's quite a common thing for dancers to go to LA to take class because LA has some of the best studios the best dancers that teach so it's quite a common thing for people to go to LA in the summer and stuff and I was actually planning to go this summer oh, really? it's oh. fine I went before <laughs> But um, but COVID has meant that these teachers that teach in Los Angeles, they're now giving online classes, like live classes over Zoom and stuff. And obviously Zoom is not the same, but I am still learning from this mm. dancer that I otherwise would never take class from. So I feel like that's one you know good thing out of this whole situation of dancing at home is that you get to actually learn from anyone around the planet. So it's, it's it hasn't been all bad, but obviously if you ask me, I'd much rather not have covid and yeah. be dancing in a studio <laughs> with just london dancers but yeah but anyway actually london dance studios opened yesterday i think because because yesterday was the day when gyms opened yeah, right yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 so they're open now again so when i come back i'll be able to <laughs> side note on covid actually i i went out last night and then got an uber back and i was having a lovely uh uber journey back he was like making conversation with me and like it was really nice and then he just started talking about how he thinks COVID is a conspiracy. I was just sitting there a bit like awkwardly, like, uh, how? Okay. I... <laughs> he was like, it's, it's just a way for the government to see, uh, to see how far they can push people. <laughs> and I was like, oh mate, your five star rating is just gone. <laughs> oh my God. What, who do they think is dying? Like, I, so I just felt like, what if I had someone, I luckily I don't, but if, if I had someone who, like a family member or something who died of COVID-19, like how like bad that is to say. Yeah, 
uh, what the hell? Because I, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't personally know anyone, but I know friends whose grandfathers have passed during all of this. And I kind of just assume that because of how widespread it all is, I feel mm. like everyone must know someone or someone's friend mm-hmm. or someone's friend of a friend or someone's auntie that has had it. Like, I just, I don't know, at least in the UK, it's just it's so weird. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I thought there was a rule that for if you're going to Uber, you have to wear a mask. Aaron, were you wearing a mask? Yeah, yeah. And he was as well, oh. to be fair. Oh. So wait, but he's so still, it's a conspiracy he was... if you... Yeah, because on, on the app, it says, like, this driver is wearing a mask. So mm-hmm. I think he'd, he'd still wear a mask just to make sure like people would get in his Uber kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? Even if he didn't think he should be wearing it. Well, Michael, what a moron. Like, I don't even know what else to describe him as. Maybe yeah, he just thinks that it doesn't... Maybe he thinks that it exists, but it's like, like the mm-hmm. flu, you know, and there's no yeah. point in doing all of this. Oh, God. Oh, my God. Yeah, recently, like I was like thinking like, I swear a lot, everyone should have learned like biology and like basic stuff around this but like it feels like people like I don't know people either think like I guess in their case fake or or just that they're invincible to a bacteria that doesn't like pick and choose who it's gonna like you know like attack and I'm just like why can't you all just you know like we like it's just it's just disappointing like we so many of us know about biology and so many of us decide to act like we're invincible to a bacteria if that makes sense and it's just like yeah. it's quite poor yeah it's not i don't know i personally have some friends that think that i mean obviously young and stuff and i mm-hmm. I, I think that their parents are quite young as well so they just don't just see it as a threat they're just kind of like oh yeah i'll mm. just you know i'll just get sick then like whatever and i'm just like why would you even say that because you know there's so many reports of people that have that have long-term issues with it that still haven't mm-hmm. recovered from it and it's just kind of like yeah sure you can get sick but do you really want to be recovering from an illness for like six months afterwards like i just don't understand the mindset mm-hmm. at all but, but anyway 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 yeah. <laughs> we can talk uh, about covid for like three hours <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I was gonna say um also when you mentioned about like gyms opening that's yesterday at the time of recording this people listening to this that have been like ages ago unless we've like locked down again and then reopened again so um <laughs> the uh yeah, but you also coincided. You've gone back to Hong Kong now, just as dance yeah, studios have opened my, in London. My government bracelet is right here. Government bracelet. Oh shit! Uh, yeah, I, was, I noticed the QR code. I just assumed that that was the thing. So, uh, do they like check on you at home? Do they just scan it to see like if you're out and about? Like, how do they know that? Because it doesn't look like it has any sort of tracker on it. If that makes sense. So when I touch it, like I'm, I'm quite convinced that this is just like it doesn't actually work. But when I touch it, there's something quite solid inside. But also, I need to put, I need to put, get an app on my phone. And sometimes it will send a notification, being like, "Can you please scan your QR code onto the phone?" And they track my location on my phone. But then I still don't think there's anything stopping me from, you know, taking the bracelet out, giving it to my brother who's staying at home, giving my phone to my brother, and then me going yeah. out. I don't think there's anything stopping that. But I'm not going to do that. But <laughs> but I mean, this, this is still more than what the UK is doing. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. so what? When you arrived, they gave you one of those. Yeah. When you when you arrive, you have to take a COVID test, and you have you can't leave unless you're negative, and they put this on you straight away, so that for 14 days you have to be in the same place. So it's actually quite interesting. When I when I got home, I had to activate this, and I had to like walk around my house for a minute, so that the bracelet knows <laughs> that this is my home area so so yeah and then after 14 days it's now this is my 10th day so i only have four days left 
thank god it's been awful um, <laughs> but but yeah so afterwards if i you know if i'm not sick or anything i just cut it off throw it in the bin and that's it okay nice but yeah, yeah. that's that's still uh yeah good to see them doing that i guess yeah yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's the least they can do really <laughs> we have here on our notes trying to navigate the foreign job market so would you say you live in england yeah 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 i, I spend probably like nine like 90 percent of my time in the uk actually yeah yeah so and you mentioned what is it you're going to study to become a lawyer i have done all of my law stuff i'm going to start okay. my training contract as a trainee solicitor in september so literally in like a month basically after you've studied a law degree you need to do something called if you're going to be a solicitor you need to do another course so the course that i did that i've just completed i finished my exams two and a half weeks ago it's mm-hmm. called the legal practice course it's the lpc after you've done that then you're good to go to be a trainee solicitor and you have to train for two years before you're fully a uh, qualified solicitor so i'm about and when you are a trainee you are sent you you work in a law firm you're you're an employee you basically work as a lawyer just that you're not qualified um, right. So like a junior doctor, maybe don't really know how junior doctors work, but kind of like that. So yeah, so I'm about to start my training contract, which will last until 2022. I'm about to start it in September this year. And that's in the UK. Okay, awesome. And but you see, so you said when you do a law degree, but that wasn't your degree at Warwick. No. So, so you have to I do like an extended a... thing, right? I've heard people that yeah. do like a law add-on or something. I don't know what it's called. Um, it's called a law conversion. Yeah, yeah. It's, it. I mean, that's not that's not the official name. The official name is a graduate diploma in law. So that's quite a unique thing in the UK. That um, yeah, I don't think it's in any other country to be honest. But yeah, so it's just you study for a year. It doesn't really matter what degree you did before, but you study for a year. You study you study the seven core modules of law, and afterwards you have an equivalent of a law degree, at least in the eyes of the sort of like the solicitors regulatory authority, like the authorities. In their yeah. eyes, you've done a law degree. And so you can move on to the next stage, which is the LPC that I've just done. Then you can move on to be a trainee. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so how many years is like the law conversion bit? Um, It's just for one year. So okay. yeah, yeah. So it's just for one year. But is it like a really like intense, heavy year? Because you're trying to pack in. If you're saying it's like equivalent to like, it's seen as equivalent to like a law degree. Are you having to like make up for like stuff you didn't, learn in like a full law degree or is it kind of you just learn the stuff you need to know if that makes um, sense so yeah, yeah 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 um so essentially for a normal law degree you do it over three years you do these seven modules that you do in the gdl as well but you also do additional modules you can choose okay. to do like whatever like international law i think that's a module yeah whatever yeah. You stuff like that you also do you know academic essays you do stuff like that but for the gdl which is what i did law conversion you just do the seven core modules you don't do any you do one essay throughout your whole thing you just do one essay and then your all of your exams are problem questions so it's kind of literally just like a quick sort of like very quick course crash course on law definitely in terms of like the amount of information it's not comparable to a law degree but why they say it's equivalent is because you've learned the core stuff and mm-hmm. you've learned how to, you know, if there's a problem in front of you, you've learned how to solve it type of thing. So that's why they say it's an equivalent. Yeah, in other countries, most other countries, like in America, for example, like you have to go to like proper law school. So like three years after your undergrad, you have to study law. And for example, in Hong Kong, you have to have done an undergrad law degree, which I think it's for four or four to five years. I'm not sure. But yeah, in, in, essentially, I don't think there's any other country other than the UK that I know of that does this system. Yeah, yeah, I'm not too uh, 
not too sure on it. Yeah. And then, so did you find it hard to find a job being someone not from the UK? Uh, well, I guess like I'm, I'm a bit different because I yeah. have a UK passport. So I, you know, it, it's definitely a hundred times more difficult to apply for a job with on like an international sort of like tier two visa. Hmm. So I can't speak for that. But even with an English passport, yeah, it was, it was tremendously difficult, essentially because there's just a saturation of like the legal job market is so saturated, like everyone wants to do law, you'll get a lot of people in my law conversion, they would have done, you know, English history, politics, it's sort of like every single person out of there is just kind of like, oh, yeah, I guess law is something that we can do with words. And um, you kind of assume that because you went to a good uni, you, you know, did reasonably well on the GDL, like, of course, I'll get a job. But it's so it was so competitive. It was crazy. Yeah, it took me it took me like two years two to three years like two two cycles to get one like I just kept on being rejected by everywhere but also like partly on me as well because I didn't initially do enough research into what type of law I wanted to do which ended up in in like me applying to a lot of firms that I had no interest in and obviously when you sit down across from these partners they know if you're interested or not so I, I just you know I put it on myself as well but it was so hard I think part of the reason for it as well is that like at Warwick like we were just given sort of like the options of like the corporate like big 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 law firms like and and me being a non-law student it was very difficult to navigate that because I had to do my own research as to what were the alternatives and stuff so yeah that took a while but I don't know it was it was okay I think one thing about the job market in the UK is that there I mean I can't speak for COVID job markets now but like you know back when I was looking for one like they're they're a bit more open because in Hong Kong they kind of assume that if you study the subject in uni like you have to go for a job in that sector as well so there's nothing you would never have heard of someone who studied English that would go in on to be a lawyer or someone who studied you know physics who would be an accountant like it's kind of like you know quite a linear thing whereas in the UK they're very much open to you know it doesn't really matter what you studied in uni here's this job for you and I feel like that's a good thing yeah it's more like they they know you went to university so you they know you I know worked hard I guess or a good worker and you have those kind of skills yeah yeah I was gonna ask as well like what kind of law is it that you like were interested in or like specifically went into or multiple types I guess well the firm that I'm gonna work for it does more like public sector stuff so I was never essentially I was never interested in like you know banking and like you know tax law stuff like that but me being misguided because the biggest the biggest biggest law firms that give you the most money are those types of firms and that's where everyone in Warwick you know would have applied to and that's like the information that I was given so essentially I wasted a lot of time going through that route then realizing that a I don't want to be there b they will never hire me because they can tell that I don't want to be there (laughs) and like you know and there are people that actually want to be there that are going to just take the job so I took I sort of waste a lot of time there, but the firm that I'm going to work for, it does more like it has a public sector focus and I haven't exactly decided because as a trainee, you get to train in four different, you get to rotate in four different areas and then you ultimately choose one. So I'm keeping an open mind, but basically something with like a public sector sort of focus. Mm. Does Warwick push those big names? Because even you see it in like computer science and pushing like the big investment banks as well. Does Warwick and like other universities push that just so they can say like, oh, we've had this many graduates graduate and go into this bank or this firm and stuff like that? I wonder. I don't I don't know if they push it or the firms push them. I don't I don't really yeah, know maybe. because I feel like I don't know. I feel like a lot of people do 
want to earn a lot of money and there's nothing wrong with that and that's where the money is right like the biggest biggest law firms yeah and they take in a lot of like russell group people and so traditionally they would have had quite a few people from warwick that would have worked there and so they like warwick students and so they just keep going back and also they just have more money for advertising because a lot of firms that do like for example like like civil liberties, like human rights stuff. They just don't necessarily the resources to keep on doing all of these marketing things. You know how you walk into like a careers fair and they give you like a mug or like state, like a full set of stationery and like a tote bag. Like no one has that sort of money if you're serving like a public sector, like yeah. client base, you know what I mean? So I feel like it's, it's not as simple as Warwick pushing it, but I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and when, when do you start that? You say in September? Yeah, in September, start of September. So I'm coming back because I have a summer and that means that I can, you know, afford to quarantine for 14 days without it wasting too much of my summer yeah. and stuff like that. So I'm coming to see my family for a bit before going back. And I guess you might be like starting working from home, I guess. Oh, I don't know. I just really, I don't know about you guys. I don't like working from home at all. I, I don't know about September. Do you think there's any chance that we'll go back to the office in September? I think it's quite low, but I'm, I'm, t- I think we've been told uh, where I work that pretty much don't expect it. Like just because it's probably, yeah, <laughs> they just told us don't expect it. So just basically continue on working as if you're working at home till like at least 2021. Really, 2021? <laughs> they've said, yeah, because they know that like especially in London, the office it. If we go back in, not only are we just adding to the amount of, you know, people going through trains, but all of us are going through from different locations and we're all getting into a crowded office. And I'm like, I'm not doing my commute to go into a crowded train and then a crowded office and put all, take all of these risks just to be around unhygienic, like not my, not my close team, but like generally like unhygienic people. I'm like, that's not happening. There's, I would rather wake up like one hour later, which is like my commute time and just work from home. Like. I have no issue working from home. I feel like there's less disturbances. Well, mm. for the most part, like, you know, because in office, people can come to your desk and just ask you to kind of do something. And you can't really like, sometimes you can say no, sometimes you just have to do it. But at home, if they, if, if you don't respond to them on Skype or something, you know, like what they're going to do, <laughs> tell my manager. Like, <laughs> I, I got other stuff to do in it. So I'll just complete that. I don't have to like do something for someone instantly just because it's their convenience. I can just do it, meet my deadlines as normal. Mm. but yeah i don't know it's just one of those things where if if i I would like to be in an office environment don't get me wrong i just don't want the commute it's just one of those things maybe i'd want like a 15 minute walk commute that would be quite nice mm. but like that's impossible to have even though i'm in london <laughs> so yeah yeah I, I generally i don't mind work from home but i feel like i don't know how long it's been now three four months or something it has got a yeah. bit boring now and it would be just nice to be in yeah, as you said, the office environment. But... Yeah, but I mean, I guess they have to. I mean, if they ask people to go back to work, as you said, they, you know, they they have to think that it's safe for everyone to get on public transport, and that we might be quite a long way away from that, to be honest. But yeah, oh god. But anyway, like I don't, <laughs> I don't really want to start a new job at home. You know what I mean? But yeah, yeah, that'll be a that... bit of a weird, weird experience for you. <laughs> yeah, I think only like thirty percent of the people are meant to go back to office and those are like the people who need to be in an office to work for whatever reason but otherwise like my manager knows that because i i basically didn't go into office from well well before lockdown and my manager knows that even if they lift lockdown and everything i i'm not going in anyways i'm staying out (laughs) until i know that you know people are vaccinated that i'm vaccinated which is a very long time away at the rate we're going so 
Mm. Yeah. Um, you're not going to go in until you're vaccinated. Why would I go in through a, such a crowd? But like a vaccination might not even happen. Yeah, I know. But like, I'd rather long it out as long as possible then. Because mm. what, am I really, do I need to be in office for whatever reason? Like the office environment is nice, but it's not a necessity for me to work. We're lucky in the line of work that we can do. We can just work from home if needed. Don't get me wrong. Like, obviously, I don't have the office, like the correct posture and everything on working. So that's kind of bad on the body. But I would rather just not be in office. That's just because I'm a germaphobe. Like others obviously may have different opinions, but I know I can live with it. So that's just that. Yeah, I think it's like mainly because people just don't wear masks in the UK. Yeah. It's just kind of like, even if everything lifts, you just know that. But anyway, oh my gosh, COVID is so depressing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's uh, uh, when we first started doing the podcasts and like remotely and we'd, I guess we'd always talk about COVID for like at least a bit. Yeah, I, d- I didn't think we'd still be talking about COVID another like <laughs> 10, 15 episodes on or however long. It's okay, guys. We, we, you know, I, I, I do think that we've got through the worst of it because whatever happens next, even if they lock us back down again, like you, you kind of know what to expect, you know, like you kind of know what, how to sustain yourself. Whereas like initially I found it was just such a shock to try to transfer everything in my life to like the computer to like home. But now everything's like set up and stuff. So I feel like, you know, even if it hits again, I kind of know what to do. And I probably already had it anyway. I don't know about you guys, but a lot of my friends like me as well, like I got quite sick in March. So like, I oh, really, okay. I don't think I'd ever did. Good thing. Yeah, at least based on the symptoms. So like, I'm good. <laughs> I think I'm good for the most part. But then obviously if I got it, then I know that everyone around me, because they're more like high risk, it would have been a really bad situation. So mm. I'm fairly confident I haven't got it. I'm more likely to get it because of the people high risk leaving the house for no reason at all. But yeah, so like, yeah, I just can't wait. Basically, I, the main thing from COVID is that I just want to meet my friend in person, just have a normal dinner and everything. Because I haven't had a takeout or anything for so long. Not even a takeout. And that's what I want. Oh, no. No. I want to have takeout soon. But, yeah, we'll see. I don't want to, like, (laughs) have to walk an hour to get to the nearest delivery range. Like, for a food I want, that is. It's not that there's no takeout. It's just that I don't want the food in the local area. Because I know I don't trust the hygiene levels of a lot of things. And if they're wearing masks or if they're being proper sanitary. So I'm just like, I want to go get the nice food that I know at least is going to be decent. Mm. but i'm not willing to walk an hour at this moment in time especially when we're struggling with times yeah oh no oh god yeah hopefully soon hopefully soon (laughs) yeah very very soon yeah Um, no if someone drives me but then obviously we both have to like my friend when his car's repair we're planning to like drive to the nearest banana tree Mm. however obviously we're going to take precautions like disinfectant sprays mask and everything but yeah like we're still making sure like it's as safe as it can be even though we know that neither neither family is affected but yeah we're just trying to be extra safe and like i didn't know yeah like eventually like living without takeout is like such an issue like (laughs) i'm think i'm too used to having food away from home yeah and that's just too mad yeah no i agree like i i I have been having takeout like because i live i live quite central so it hasn't really been an issue but at first i was kind of just like oh is it safe and then at at some point you sort of give in you're just like i just really want fried chicken like i just really (laughs) want pizza that i can't make myself and i just really want chinese food and it's just kind of like home food is just not the same yeah there was there was literally a point like a few weeks ago where genuinely one morning i put on the shoes and i was about to walk out that and walk through an hour like it's not even a safe walk i was just gonna walk to the delivery range and go there then i don't like fuck i need to finish this edit yeah um otherwise you were going to be late so i was like you know what yeah let me put the shoes away i can wait another few weeks but oh my lord when i can finally get some takeaway one of the places i like i cannot wait 
<laughs> Obviously, Indian food every day is just like, what, what can you do? Like, <laughs> Just imagine how good it will taste, Hamish, the first time you have it again. Yeah, but that makes you hungry and that makes you crave it okay, more. Like, okay. like, what do you do? <laughs> <laughs> Even talking about it now, like, I can feel in my mouth, like, if I had the vegan satay, you know, and the sweet corn fritters, oh my Lord. Yeah, I think the <laughs> listeners can hear it in your voice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, soon come, soon come. Aww. Yeah, cool. Yeah, so I guess we just start to round it off. So we'll start with the final questions then. And first final question is, what is one word or phrase you would use to describe yourself? I would say ridiculous. <laughs> that's <laughs> a I'm one. quite like, I'm just a bit, yeah, I don't know. I'm just a bit, I'm just a bit like unexpected, I think. Maybe just unexpected. Maybe that's the word. Like I just never look like what I'm supposed to be. Or I'm never like what I'm like, you know, what I look like is so different from who I am. Like, you know, mixed race, even down to like the dance sort of thing, because I actually normally wear glasses. And uh, when whenever I tell anyone I do hip hop, they're just like, oh, yeah, you do hip hop. Yeah. And I'm just like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that's a good trait. That's, that's it's like, a, I guess, defying what people expect. Labels yeah. or stereotypes. Kind of. Yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe unexpected. I'll choose that one. <laughs> Second question is, if you could listen to one song forever, what would it be? I've actually had to think about this one. I don't really know, but I uh, there's one song I really like at the moment. It's uh, Seasons. It's by Black, you know, Black as in Six. Yeah, Black Six. And, yeah. Uh, and Khaled. So I, I really like that song because it just, it's quite chilled. It reminds me of summer. I guess I was listening to it, it, listening to it a lot like last year and 2019 was a good year for me personally. So yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Brings back a lot. Third and final question is, what has been your most memorable third wheeling experience, if any? Um, yeah, um, I would say my flat, my ex flatmate who's moved out mm-hmm. now, but my during at the beginning of lockdown, it was me, my flatmate and her boyfriend. And we were just, it was completely fine. It was great. We were living together. But when we were locked down, we were like, really like living <laughs> together. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, we just got into like our own little routines, like, you know, like someone would cook, someone would clean. We used to play a lot of like, at the beginning of lockdown, when you literally couldn't even leave the house, we were just like playing a lot of like board games. And they were like, as a couple playing like Animal Crossing. And it was just, it was kind of, it's really sweet. But then they moved out sort of in the uh, April, May type of type of time. So, so yeah, so that was a really sweet sort of memorable time so yeah <laughs> that's cool and anyone you'd like to nominate to come on the podcast um i'll say my friend rt and uh marva rt nachoban uh marva creel and lauren lauren Owenwu. so yeah i'll give you their handles later as well yep awesome and the final section is a shout so like a shout out like could be anything you want it to be so yeah is there anything you'd like to shout out my crew, I guess, <laughs> the archetype. Um, the handle is also the archetype on uh, Instagram as well. So they're amazing. Check them out. <laughs> Sweet, Aaron, you? Um, I'm going to shout out. I've been watching a lot of TV series in like different languages recently. There's there's one I watched on Netflix called Into the Night. I think it's Belgium, actually. Um, yeah, it's a Belgium original series. And it's about these people on a plane. And then it's a bit like sci-fi mystery or whatever it's got here thriller but they're on a plane there's people on plane and the sunlight sunlight is basically killing everyone if you get in sunlight so they have to basically fly on the plane to avoid sunlight like so they have to stay in the night all the time and like binge the first series and it's quite cool it's quite uh interesting and i think there's a new another it's been renewed for another series so Cool. I think I've seen it pop up on my Netflix as well. Yeah, yeah, I think it's yeah, yeah it's this year, 2020. 
Yeah. And it seems to be like well rated on IMDb and all that. So sounds like my biggest nightmare. Like planes are just not very comfortable yeah, yeah, to be like, on. <laughs> and oh god, I don't want to give spoilers, but yeah, it's just a bit uh yeah, a bit scary at sometimes. If you try and imagine yourself <laughs> in that situation. But yeah. Yeah, no, it's cool. So yeah, go check that out if that sounds of interest. My child's gonna be for a album that I've had a loop again. I've kind of relapsed into the loop of, which is Get Rich or Die Trying by Fifty Cent, and it's on the hip hop theme as well. So um, yeah, go listen to it if you haven't already. It's a banger. And if you, I guess, don't like any of the songs on the peak, well, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I love that album. So yeah, so I'll just give it a shout out this episode and sweet. Yeah, thanks so much, Laura, for coming on. No, it's okay. Thanks yeah, thank you. Me. Yeah, no, this has been really good. It's actually been one that's like started on time and like ended on time which none of our episodes seem to do so this is like <laughs> is it not supposed to <laughs> this is like run no, 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 no this no, is no. run really smoothly which is a good thing yeah like we've had no technical issues or anything we don't want to jinx it but yeah, like, yeah. this yeah okay cool <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah i'm glad i'm glad my wi-fi was uh surviving yeah <laughs> thank you for having me sure. yeah no awesome as you said like all links to anything yeah laura's dance page and archetype and everything in the description and yeah hope everyone enjoyed the episode and i guess we'll just speak to you next week have a good day guys bye